Oh, Jesus. Okay. I'm ready. I believe I'm ready. Thank you, Levi and Daddy. Let's get to the water. And see who's all on. Good morning. Good afternoon. So how do y'all? Look at y'all. What y'all doing? Hey, how are y'all doing? Oh, please hold on. <laughs> Boy, this has been a beautiful day. Let's go right into it. Afternoon prayer. We just say thank you, Father, for coming together and letting us be alive. Breathe the air, bless people, heal people, touch people. Stand in a space, stand in a gap, make us prosperous, productive, moving all obstacles, adversities, and challenges out of our space, all negative people out of our space, all negative circumstances. May they die with the devil. And truly ask you to lift us up and allow us to give you the glory and praise for the day. In the middle of the day, morning in some parts of the world, afternoon for others. And all this we say just thank you and stand in gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump right in, family. I am in, me being you, you being me, we being one, Psalms. What a concept. Psalms. So we're in Psalms 13, and I have two versions of it. So the I, I really like Psalms because it allows me to share two or three versions of a verse or a chapter since they're so short. Like, I don't think you can get any shorter except for in the prayers your best. It's six verses. <laughs> it's really quite, like I said, the more, the smaller they get, the more powerful they get. But I also have the meal to be able to build on top of it. So some... 13 was for the director of music, a psalm of David, another song of David, um, goes as such. Number one, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? It's a question David is having. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day, sorrow in my heart. Now, there's a very powerful conversation because that's the conversation I think we can all relate to. You know, am I forgotten? Am I forsaken? How long do I have to do with these problems by myself? Is there any help coming? Are you going to come and help? Are you going to send some help? And how long do I have to be either brokenhearted for over a personal situation, over some stuff happening in my job or in my business? I mean, how much do I have to struggle from within? Well, how should you break it down really when it's these shorts, when, it, when it's this short? Um, how long will my envy triumph over me, whether it is my own mind or whether it's somebody else or whether it's, you know, somebody that I don't like or somebody who's just truly my enemy or if it's truly a war. Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Oh, God, I don't know if I want to go to death and sleep, but anyway. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now that's in the New International Version. Let's go to another version and see what comes up. Let's look at this. The other one is breaking it down. Oh, there's those my notes. Let's do it from here. So. Psalms is, oh, how long, oh Lord. It's really just a request to the choir master, a psalm, another psalm of David, broken down from this perspective of the ESV. 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of the death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing the Lord, sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I don't know, to me it sounds like a conflict. Just saying, sounds like a conflict. Conflict yourself, because in Psalm 13, the whole title of it comes down to enlighten my eyes. The title, if you look at it, tells us both the author and the audience of the psalm. To the chief musician, the psalm of David, some believe that this chief musician is the Lord himself, and others suppose him to be a leader of choirs and musicians in David's time, such as Heman, the singer of Asaph. If you go to First Chronicles 6.33 or 16.17, there's a psalm of transition, which is why I said it sounds like a conflict, starting in the discouragement and despair, but he finishes in a place of trust and joy. That just is really almost an oxymoron. But if we break this down, since there's only really about six verses, number one, A, the first verse is really tapping into David's despair, David's despair with the Lord. Oh, how long, oh, Lord, please, long, how long, Lord, will you help me, please help me help you. I am waiting for you. I will wait forever. How long will you hide your face from me? It seems that every child of God has asked this question at one time or another. I know I have. And that every follower of God has felt neglected by God or forsaken, which we've talked about a lot in Proverbs and in the beginning of Psalms, or at least they have waited a long time for God. I mean, my mother has waited. It's like, what are you doing in taking my husband? I mean, it doesn't matter the circumstance. See, if the reader has never yet found an occasion to use this language, there's something conflicted in their own lives that they're actually ignorant to really what's going on in the soul that waits for God. How long? This question is repeated no less than four times. Four times. It's not easy to prevent desire from degeneration or impatience. Oh, for grace that while we wait on God, we may be kept from indulging a murmuring spirit is really what it comes down to. How long, how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? See, the pain in David's heart came from a sense that God had forgotten and that God was distancing himself from him, from David himself. No doubt David had faced worse circumstances, but had faced them more bravely when he had a sense and had a complete presence of God with him and in him. Yet now in this instance, feeling distant from God, it didn't take much to send David into despair. God will never forget us, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on a son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the Psalms in the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49, 14. The final absence of God is hell itself. Depart from me, ye cursed. Is worse than no 
thing, not nothing, no thing ever created. Depart from me, ye cursed is worse than nothing. <laughs> Into everlasting fire to be punished from the presence of the Lord is the hell of hells. We've already established in these conversations. There's actually a basement to hell. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, you can go to the second theologians 1.9. Forget, hide your face, of course. God did not forget David. God did not hide his face from David. But David felt like it. But if you remember, Adam felt like he was naked when he had clothes on after he sinned. Watch out now, let's go somewhere. When we have such strong feelings, then the feelings create their own reality. David felt God had forsaken and forgotten and felt God was hiding. How can God hide if he's in everything? So in a sense, it was true for David because he created his own story in his own head. How many of us have created our own story in our own head, waiting for the facts, waiting for the information, being impatient, not getting everything, but then we have come up with the conclusion that we will no longer wait anymore. This must be what it is, and this is the verdict. I'm sorry, I got a little triggered there. But according to the feelings, 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 really? Not according to the fact. See, there is a balance in life when it comes to feelings. Some people ignore feelings and think the feelings should have nothing to do with our relationship with God. This is an extremity because God has given us feelings as an expression of his image in his, or in us, right? We can feel anger, love, care, sorrow, and many other feelings because God feels those feelings. In this sense, feelings are a gift from God and a sign that we are made in his image. On the other side of the coin, some live there lives ruled by emotions and feelings. They believe whatever reality their feelings present to them. The problem with this is that that we have feelings because we were made in the image of God. Our feelings are affected by our failedness, our fallenness, the way we have actually failed and fallen in life. We can't trust our feelings because in this one particular case, they rule Venus, they rule Mars. Well, this is what I felt. Let me tell you how I felt. No, no, no. It was all right for David to feel these things and feel these feelings and good to take them into God. But he should never accept the reality, nor should we ever accept the reality of feelings as real reality. Sorry, I get a little touched by this part of my notes. This is a lesson of profound value. If the heart be overburdened and Jehovah seems to hide his face, let the story of woe be told to him. It is a holy exercise. Men may not understand it. Women may misconstrue it. They may even charge us with failing faith. Now, if you look at David's despair with himself and others, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? I mean, we're talking about how long, how long? What is this, Martin Luther King's speech? No wonder David was discouraged. Taking counsel in his own soul had led him to sorrow in his heart daily. You know what this reminds me of? Uh, for those that have actually studied my tutelage and me as a student, as, as well as a teacher, 
knows my best, uh, my best advice was given in the last year from a gentleman that is my mentor today, Mr. Les Brown, and one of my closest confidants. And he said, Byron, you can't see yourself in the frame, no matter how great you think you are. I had to pause. First I was like, who the hell? And then I had to stop and say, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I thought about it and I was like, wow, you can't see yourself in the picture that you sit in your own frame. And I listen to this, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long shall I take counsel in his own soul that had led me to sorrow in my own heart daily? Seeing when I am discouraged and depressed, the answer is not looking inside myself, but in looking to the Lord. Many times when I am confronted with problems, I find this to be true. The more I think about the problems, the more depressed I get. But when I pray about the problems, a glorious sense of release and peace comes over me. Hence, let go, let God. You know, don't try and control something you have no control over. Let go of that. But that which you do have control over, make sure you prioritize it and make sure that you execute with velocity and a sense of urgency, not a sense of emergency nor nervousness, for that creates a whole other feeling that is not a reality. Thinking about our troubles is hard work. Trouble is often like a pill God wants us to swallow, but we make it worse by keeping it just, I mean, if you look at this, we make it worse by keeping it in our mouth and chewing it. You should have just swallowed it. How long? How long, here it is again, should I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? See, he suggested that the sermon would have these points, self-torture, its cause, curse, crime, and cure. How long will my enemies be exalted over me? This mentions the third way, the third way that David was depressed. David didn't want to lose in any area of life that he was attacked enemy exalted over him first in his relationship with god second within himself third in regard to his enemy this was not purely selfish desire here i want you to get this david knew he was the lord's man with a special calling a special anointing to be able to lead god's people in this sense david's enemies were the lord's enemies and enemies were over the the people of god david's feelings feeling david's david's feeling that God had abandoned him was connected to his sense of depression. Let's list several sources of spiritual depression. Temperament. One may temperamentally incline to depression. Temperament. Illness can drain the physical strength and lead to depression because you have no will at that point. Exhaustion can also leave one quite open to depression and the feeling of abandonment. The let down after some great effort fueled by coming down, but it might be a set back for a set up for a championship, but you didn't understand it in the moment. So the let down after all your effort and not getting what you thought or expected, but when did you decide to live into the law of expectation other than that of the love and the grace and the glory of God? Pressure, pressure from spiritual and natural enemies can push us toward depression. See, these are the things that we need to be conscious of. David's dependent prayer, back to prayer as we talked about yesterday. David prays for his relationship with God. After he gets all this gook out of his system, he goes back and says, Consider and hear me, O Lord, 
my God, that's what he says. He says, could you please listen to me, please? Just, um, okay, I'm done vomiting and acting like a pity party and looking for attention. Let's have a real conversation, let's talk. Consider and hear this. We should not think that David meant two different things when he said, consider and hear me. He used the Hebrew method of repetition to show emphasis. David desperately cried out to God, asking the Lord to hear him at this point, having a real conversation. David felt God was not listening before. How long will you hide your face from me? Maybe that was a feeling. Yes, he felt like God was not listening to him. He then said, why are you hiding your face? And in what point of life would God ever hide his face when his face is everywhere in everything? You might want to look at Psalm 13 when again and understand this. Yet he should continue to cry out because God honored when, he, when we persistently and desperately cry out to him. So he, so he puts us in a position by not doing what he chooses to do based on the merit system of what, what's deserved. He's not intentionally harming or punishing. Those are the decisions we have made that create that punishment. But we want to say, because God's not showing up, he's punishing us. Cody, didn't you make the decision to put yourself in that situation in the first place? I don't know. God often waits till our prayers are desperate enough that he wants to answer. He hears it all. The cause of the powerlessness of much of our prayer is betrayed by its lack of desperation. We might want to go in a little bit deeper. Show a little bit more sincerity. Show a little bit more humility. Show, show a whole lot more humility. A little bit more desperation. Not take it for granted is what I'm saying. Desperate prayer has power, not because it's in itself persuades a reluctant God. Instead, it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things that God cares about for fulfilling Jesus' promise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John 15, 7. You write down that verse and keep it in your scribes. Enlighten my eyes. David had the wisdom to know that though he felt powerful, feelings he wasn't seeing real re reality i mean his vision was was blurred it was clouded it was dark so he cried out to god and so many times this happened with me i'm sure it's happened with each one of you enlighten my eyes this is a great prayer we need the light notice we talked about yesterday i talked about so i'm gonna go a little bit further into the salt and the light we need the light of God to shine upon us and to give us. Have you ever just stood in the sun and let the sun hit you on the face? One of his greatest creations ever. Some people think that is just the greatest resemblance of God himself. That third eye, that ray of sun, that vitamin D, when you just sit there and you absorb it. Do you know that people cannot live without vitamin D and without certain rays that are given off by the sun? They just kind of just shrink up and die. We need the light of God to shine upon us and to give us his wisdom and knowledge. No matter what problem we are in, we should cry out with all our effort and all of our heart. Enlighten my eyes. See, me, the Apostle Paul, knew the importance of having our eyes enlightened by the Lord. This is what he prayed for. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Oh, you know that prayer. That comes from Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. She put that down. I share Apostle Paul's prayer again so you can hear it again. It's a very powerful prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, that leads us to, lest I sleep the sleep of death. If we are not enlightened by God, we will surely fall asleep. And often spiritual sleep leads to spiritual death. Me, Apostle Paul, may have had this verse in mind when I wrote, he wrote, of our need for the light of Jesus. Awake, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Ephesians 5.14. And the fourth verse, David prays over victory, victory over his enemies. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David knew one of the worst parts about losing anyone hearing them both after they have defeated you. He did not want his enemies to rejoice when he was brought low. Knowing how his enemies would gloat, gloat over his fall, David was even more determined to be not moved, not moved. That's, I think that's where the conflict came in. He went into the pity party. He went into, you aren't listening to me. He went into, will you please, and all this and all that. And then I think he had a wake-up call in the middle of this six verses. And he said, you know what? Okay, let's have a real conversation. Okay, can we just real talk, real talk, real talk. Awareness of God and the enemy is virtually the hallmark of every psalm of David, the positive and negative charges which produced the driving force of his best years. It goes into 5a, David's trust in God's mercy. David, after his prayer, came to a place of confidence and trust. I have trusted, speaks in the past tense, trust. It is as if David remembers that he really did trust God and he cleared the way, the fog from his sleepy eyes, the blurry, the murky waters, that God had enlightened his eyes. There's that light. At this place of discouragement, David could not trust in God's justice or in God's law or in God's holiness. In your mercy, have trusted in your mercy. Those things might condemn him because his feelings, his feelings, his feelings. You guys got, I hope you guys are getting some of this feelings conversation today. They serve no one but yourself if you get lost there and not utilized properly. Had made him not see clearly, but he could always trust in God's mercy. When you can't trust anything else, you can always trust God's mercy. You know how great that makes me feel. I hope that makes you guys feel good. Golly. Man, do I need all of it. He begins his prayer as if he thought God would never give him a kind look ever again. But by the time he had exercised himself a little in beauty, his distemper wears off. The mitts scatter. 
my faith breaks straight out into the sun, into the strength, into the light, when he finally goes into a passion, convicted prayer of humility. He feels secure. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He sees a clearing. Hasn't come yet. He said, my heart shall rejoice. Hasn't come yet. Let me tell you what I'm going to do, Lord. I will sing to the Lord. Now David was still in the realm of feelings rejoice, but he directed his feelings instead of having his feelings direct him. Listen to that. Listen, Linda. You might want to write that part down. Ooh, sugar. How steady. He said he directed his feelings instead of having his feelings direct him. It goes from he was still in the realm of feelings, still in the still of rejoice. I shall rejoice. He started, he got in front of the ship. He started, he became the captain. He, oh, oh, no, no, no. My feelings are no longer going to control me. Let me redirect my emotion and the power and the thrust of the trust in the Lord, which is where my emotion lives, is in the humility and love and my faith lives here. Therefore, the ship must be redirected and we need a new point for the GPS. In your salvation, this is what David rejoiced in. David, he could rejoice in nothing else, could rejoice in the salvation God gave him. If he could not rejoice in anything else, he knew he could rejoice in the salvation God gave him. This solid ground for any believer, for anyone who believes, who truly believes, who truly understands it's been tested. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they're like, why don't they believe? I said, because they haven't been through enough. Trust me, you live long enough. You may be on your deathbed. You will call him. If you say, you can rejoice. You can tell your heart to start rejoicing. Go ahead and praise. Do a praise dance as far as I'm concerned. David knew rejoicing is wonderfully expressed in singing. That's what this whole psalm is about. It's singing in good times, bad times, around times. So he was singing to the Lord. That's what happened in this verse right here. He was singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord will both express his joy and his, listen to this, his increase of joy. There's not half enough singing in the world. I remember a servant who used to sing while she was in the washtub just singing. Her mistress said to her, why change? How is it that you are always singing? She said, it keeps the bad thoughts away. David moved from being depressed and feeling abandoned by God to singing joy. The fact that we feel abandoned itself means that we really know God is there. Listen to what I just said. The fact that we feel abandoned, feel abandoned, feel abandoned itself means that we really know that God is there. To be abandoned, you need someone to be abandoned by. Because we are Christ-like Christians, believers, and have been taught by God in the scriptures, in the verses, we know that God still loves us and will be faithful to us regardless of our feelings. With enlightened eyes, David sees God's goodness. With enlightened eyes, because he has dealt bountifully with me, 
as David thought about it, he had good reason to rejoice in sin because God had been good to him. If we will only think about every person on this earth has reason to rejoice because why? In some way, God has been good to every one of us on this call and beyond. What a transition. In the beginning of the psalm, David was overwhelmed by his feelings and believed that God had forgotten him and was hiding from him. He had trouble. Only in six verses. You see how quickly that turned? The hem of a garment. You know how quickly things can turn for each one of us? Each one of us. I don't know why your feelings keep you lost and separated from the acknowledgement of knowing God is there to deal with the problems that we can't deal with so that we can step up and be who we need to be. But we still, you can't get to the future because we still hold on to some baggage of some, well, we still in the story. Did he show up? That lack of faith, that lack of belief will keep you in a story that has been closed for a day, for a month, for a year, but you keep reverting back to it. I'm sorry, I just was triggered a little bit. He had trouble with God, with himself, and with others. Yet now he saw how God had dealt bountifully with him because his eyes were enlightened. David could now see God's goodness. And what a change in perspective that could be for each one of us. Before God can enlighten our eyes, we must agree that we don't see everything. We need to realize that our feelings are not giving us full and accurate information. But if we do this and we cry out to God, cry out to the Lord, cry out to Jesus Christ, he will enlighten our eyes and bring us from a place of despair to a place of trust, joy, and confidence. Jesus said again, in times of trouble, the Lord would, with one scripture or another, strengthen me against all. In so much that I have often said, were it lawful, I could pray for greater trouble for the greater comforts of sake. That's a mindset. Just know this. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, that was a mouthful and a meal for only six verses. Whew. I don't know about you, but I feel great. And uh, I approve this message. <laughs> and I approve Psalm 12. I don't know about y'all, but I got a whole lot out of that one right there, right there, that part right there, that part right there. Huh.